I just passed to Rick. Here's a question for you. What have you accepted? What have you just gone along with in your life? Some things you put up with that you shouldn't have put up with. Today, we take a study in the Word of God where we talk about this whole issue about what you've accepted in life, especially when it comes to your money. So sit back today. Let me tell you, this will help you. I am going to tell you some honest to God, good truth that will change your life. Enjoy today's teaching. I'll be back to pray for you at the end. Stay right there. Let's look at what you've accepted and let's see what you need to get rid of. Stay right there. I'm really glad you're with me today. I have a sermon that is uh, down home helpful. That's what I'll call it. It it's, it's really targets something we all deal with, money. But not just money, it's what we've accepted about life. Matter of fact, that's what I call it. Facing the truth about what we've accepted. But one of the key areas I'm gonna focus on is money, what you've accepted about your money. And there are two areas that we wanna target. One is what you've accepted about your money in general and what you've accepted about debt. Look at your life today and look at the things in your life and for a moment just say, hmm, <clears throat> what have I accepted? What, what is true for me? Look around your house. Look at, the, look at your home right now. Look around and say, okay, this is what I've accepted. This is what the way it's, the condition is in. If it's neat and organized, okay. But if it's not, don't blame anybody. Don't blame the kids. This is part of an acceptance culture. I have in my life accepted things that if I'm honest, uh, reveal something about my attitude. And so what I'm going to do today is go through a number of things that we've accepted, and I'm going to get you to think about why. And then I'm going to get you to think about some questions. There are questions that people often ask me about this issue, and I, especially money, and I want to deal with just specifically money questions at the end of the teaching. So we'll talk for a little bit about that. It'd be fun. And these are questions that people ask me about money. But I, I want to say this will be uh, different. The, the talk today, the teaching today will be different because we're starting Proverbs chapter 22, verse, verse 7. And I want you to notice some things I'm going to say and I'm going to put it in a question form. For example, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says this. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Let me say it again. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the to the lender. So first of all, I want to ask you, have you accepted the fact that the rich rule over the poor? If you look at your life, if you say, okay, I am ruled by, controlled by people with more money than me. Where I work, where I live, um, the house I'm renting, a, a richer person than me owns this house. And there, there are boundaries that they can set for me that I, I cannot control. There are things that I don't have in my life. Now, I want to say that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not, I've been a landlord. There's nothing bad about being a, you know, hopefully be a nice one, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand you are in a position of vulnerability. And if you accept staying in that position, it's okay for a while or a season. But for a lot of us, we've accepted it. I will never own a home. I will never get beyond this place. Again, I'm not putting you down or faulting you. Or, but most people, some of you can say, wait a minute, Reverend, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second, man. I didn't accept being here. I got put here. Granted, that can happen. But I want you to understand, 
if you're not careful, when you're put there, the question is, will you accept staying there? Don't look at that, number one. Okay. What have you accepted the truth about your money? What have you accepted? Number two. Two, I want to look at what you've accepted about this next question. Look at verse, uh, Proverbs 23 and 5. It says, cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, but they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Have you accepted that everything you have can fly away? Every single thing you have. The church, the money, the business, the job, the house, the, everything can fly away. Everything you have. But specifically in this context, he's talking about money, wealth, resources. I, uh, I, I have just witnessed these two things in my life. I've seen myself subservient to people with more than me, and I've seen them basically because they're richer and have more advantage, they can come in and dictate my life, business, opportunities, loans. They can come in and, and control my life. I've seen that happen to me. So I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to somehow be condescending. But no, I'm being honest. This is exactly what a lot of people have in their life. And here's the challenge. They've accepted it. They think they have to always be in a position where they are the poor person being ruled over by someone else. When in reality, that's not always true. There's a way to change that. Money can't fly from you. It can come in your hand and be gone just as fast. The stories of people who've come into great wealth and lost it all in a short period of time. One study said, I think, in 24 months, if you come into a lump sum of money, most of the time it's gone. It's gone. It could be a million, could be two million, could be 500,000, could be 10,000. Most of the time, within a short period of time, that lump sum of money is gone. Money makes wings, it says, and flies away. There are three questions for you to consider today that I want you to just think about. Three things that might help you review what you've accepted. Number one, what is the truth about your money? I want you to think about that for a minute. What's the truth? What's the fat, flat truth, honest truth about your money? Where is it? What's it like? What kind of condition are you in? Number two, what is the truth about how you manage money? If you look at how you manage money and, and, you, and you see this, um, <laughs> this habit you have that lives, leaves you in a cycle, you know, you're always borrowing money from people, you're always in this cycle or whatever, no matter what job you make, no matter what income you, 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 you get. And then the third question is, what's, gonna be the, what's the truth about your long-term financial health? Long-term. I love to ask people this question. If you save the amount of money you saved last month for the next five to 10 years of your life, where will you be? If you save the same exact amount of money. Now, there are questions that I think about your money that will help you discover the truth about it. So sometimes when people ask you about your money and they say, hey, you know, um, <laughs> uh, Where's your finances? You know, you, you kind of give, oh, God's good. You know, you get a lot of spiritual answers. And you get sidetracked. And I want to, before I go through these questions, let me just kind of say something for people. Uh, you know, I, I have been um, surprised at how disinterested some people are with this topic. Jesus talked about it more than most would want to admit. But this was a major topic of Jesus in some form investments, a lot of the things you talked about, good stewards, a lot of those parables were centered around people in business. 
And he understood that if you could fix a person's life in this area, a lot of things would just automatically come together. Because a lot of things you're praying for, you're struggling with, is because you've not faced the truth about this area in your life. So these questions I'm going to ask you are questions designed to help you have that by yourself moment. And I think we all need it. Because in the story, you're going to see a lot of the mistakes I'm talking about are mistakes I've made. So I'm not trying to get above you and look down. I'm saying I understand. So here we go. Questions that I think can help you analyze or discover the truth about your money. Number one, uh, when is the last time you saved? When was the last time you saved? Just think about that for a second. I mean, you got paid and you put something aside. You got your check and you put something aside. I, I didn't say how much. I just asked you when's the last time you did it. When's the last time you saved anything? When's the last time you saved money? Now, I'm going to tell you something. If, you, if you're not careful, uh, you don't know when that was. You don't, you don't know when that was. You don't know when's the last time you actually set aside some money out of money you received. Then here's a second question. What percentage did you save? Now, I'm a tithing person. I believe in tithing. I believe that there is a biblical principle about tithing that is just without question. But that's not what the sermon's about. But I, I do believe in percentages. So when you get paid $1,000 or whatever, what percentage? Did you save $100 or did you save anything? Setting a percentage can really be a help to you. I believe that's why God established the principle of tithing. He gave Israel specific guidelines because sometimes you think too small. Sometimes your percentages are too little and you need suggestions. And I believe the tithe was a suggestion, a strong kind of command to us. Honor God with the first fruits of your increase, he said. There's something about that, that clarity about what I'm going to do when I get money before you get it. But some of you, when you get money, you have no plan, you have no strategy. I believe in having plans for money before I get money. The strategy I plan, whenever I feel like I'm, I'm going to come into some resources, I'm always thinking ahead of the resource to say, this goes here, and I have a certain percentage and a plan for it. So what is your percentage? Number three, not only what your percentage is, but I want you to look at what, what person taught you about money. Just go back and think about that. Who was the person who set you down and taught you how to manage your money? Now, if you're not a person who um, is open to advice, you will never do well with finances. You will always struggle. You will never, ever have much. People who say, this is my business, this is mine, and I'm not talking to anybody, you missed the point. There are, there, are, there are habits that you will develop if you allow people into your life. They will help you not maintain those, those habits. They'll help free you. Because letting people in and letting someone who is, who doesn't, and I believe someone who doesn't want your money, don't do this with people who need your money because then they'll, they'll find ways to get it. But, but people who don't want anything from you, and I, and I mean this lovingly, even if you're a parent and you want to advise your kids, don't advise kids and then turn around and ask them for money. Don't advise kids and then turn around and, and, and start piling in their resources, or friends. That's, that, that's not the kind of advisor you need. Don't ask a borrower from you. Ask somebody who doesn't want anything from you. And someone is going to give you an, an objective perspective. Now, let me get to another part of this. And this is going to kind of turn a little bit because some of you that are in business, you really need to hear what I'm about to say. Because for those of you who work on a job and somebody takes your, you know, takes your uh, taxes out of your check, this won't apply to you. Because you never really have that, that April anxiety of, oh, my God, I got to pay my taxes. You know, 
you don't understand what I'm about to even explain, but the business people understand exactly what I'm saying. If your people get paid off 1099s, which means they don't take taxes out, they simply report to the government that they paid you so many thousand dollars a year, and they send you a receipt first of the year that says, okay, here's what we paid you, so make sure you tell the government so you can pay taxes on this money. Those are called 1099s. Now, some of us who get paid in different ways, business, 1099s, and W-2s, you, you kind of know all the worlds, but let me just talk to the business side for just a minute, okay? So hang with me, because some of you that are people who get W-2s, they take your taxes out of your, on your job, this is not going to necessarily you know, apply to you today, but maybe down the road. Here we go, ready? Here's a question for you folks. Are, you, are, you, are, you, are your quarterly taxes being paid on time? I have never, ever talked about this in public, ever. I've never even asked this question, maybe once or so, but I don't recall preaching about this. But I want to say to you business people, you're never going to be free. You have accepted a lifestyle of paying your taxes late, paying your taxes every you know, other quarter, uh, running to the end of the year in October, hoping you can get all your stuff in. That's not how God wants you to live your life. You want to make sure you don't live that way because what happens is you end up in trouble. You ever wonder why a lot of celebrities, a lot of people, uh, they, they end up in tax trouble and the government comes after their homes and stuff? It's because they, they violate this principle. No, there's nobody to take their taxes out. So they work, they do a movie, they do something, and they get a bunch of money. And if they're not careful, they will not pay that 30% or 40% that they owe. So they get, let's say they get $100,000 and they think, oh, this $100,000 is my money. No, 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 no. $300,000 of that is tax money, probably thereabout. Unless you have some deductions, you can make it maybe $200,000. It depends. Depends. Depends on your tax situation. If you get $1,000 and you go out and you cut lawns and you do stuff and then or you work on a place and they give you a 1099 and say, we paid you $10,000 and you take that and you fill out your taxes, that means you owe the government, depending on your tax situation, could be as much as $33,000, it could be $3,500. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't have cash, hang with me, people, then you are fighting a real burden on, in April because you don't have the money. Now, if you're not from America, hang with me. This is just an American moment here. Hang with me. There are moments in life when if you look at your life, you say, I have developed, I developed a habit, I've accepted being late on my taxes. I've accepted it. And one day that train will run you down. One day that train will get you and you will not be able to recover from it. So that is good advice. For some of you, just pause right now. Say, God, I hear you and let's work on it. You've accepted this in your life and it's time for you to say, I, I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to live my life like this. I want to live a different kind of life. I want to have a different experience. I want to make sure that I do not, I do not lose my perspective because God, God wants me to do a better job. Now, that's hard. That's hard to say. It's hard to hear. It's hard to know. Because some of your businesses are in trouble because of that. You have allowed yourself to go too far down that road. Here's another question for you business people. Are your records up to date? And that's really for everybody. Keeping your records up, that's not, that's not a spiritual thing. That's just a right thing. It's a right thing. Your records. Are your records right? Here's another one. You ready? What's your, what's your credit score? I know that's not really spiritual. Some of you may say, ah, oh, what do you mean by that? What's your credit score? What is the, what is the score of your credit? If your credit score is, is bad, we might need to say, you know, Lord, uh, can I just 
for a minute here, say, Jesus, I need some help. I, my score says, um, out of 850, my score is, um, is two. How did it get to be two? But for a lot of people, that's a, that's a tremendous challenge. Their score says, I'm not reliable and I may not pay you back. Or my score says, I have too many liabilities, too many, I owe too many people. That's how they set the score up. The score, and I'm not saying the score is always fair. I'm not saying it's, it's always right. I'm simply saying the score is the score. And at the end of the day, your credit score can be a, a, a sermon to you. It can, it can preach to you. It can say, man, how did my score get to be 400 out of 550 or 850? How did my score get to be so low? And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. Don't turn me off. Hang with me. I'm simply saying there are moments when you look at this and you say, I've accepted this. I've accepted this. Why is my FICO score so low? Why, why am I accepting debt? Why am I accepting not saving? Why am I accepting this? A lot of times, you know, when you go to church and you're trying to get people to give money, one of the problems is they don't know how to manage money. So it's not that they don't want to give, but their life is so filled with confusion when it comes to this topic that they are drowning. And let me say this to you. God understands it. God feels your pain. God wants you to do better. You went to, in the business and your goal was to be able to do things in the community, but you can't because your money and your records and your life is chaotic. More business brings more chaos. More opportunity brings more confusion. You need to pause, stop, look at what you've accepted and say, okay, I can't accept this anymore. I need help. I've got to open my heart. You can pray all day. You can speak in tongues, dance, flip around, and do flips in the spirit. It doesn't matter. Until you do the basics, it won't work. Whether you have a church of 1,000 people, 2,000, 3,000, whether you have millions of dollars, it doesn't matter. I have never solved my problems with money. More money never solved my problems. It created more problems. Because if my habits were bad, guess what? It made things worse. You just owe more. You owe more, your debt gets heavier, your load gets heavier, and before you know it, you can get into a place you can't get out of. That's how you end up filing for bankruptcy. That was totally unnecessary. That's because no one, we would let no one help you. And you can, be, you can be a Christian and be stubborn. You can be a saved person, man, and be hard to reach. Now I want to turn to one more area for a minute, and this is going to be delicate. I have one more area I want to talk about. I want to talk about church, church and money, and what we've accepted in church when it comes to money. Now, when I say this stuff, I'm going to tell you, boy, this, whoo, this is going to, be, it's going to be something out here. Hang with me. If you get the sermon notes that I have for this sermon, you'll see I put the source for these things I'm about to say. Because I don't believe in just saying things. I want to prove it to you. So if you download the notes, you'll see the sources right there in the notes. But the first thing I want to say is these are called facts that are hard to accept about church and money. Facts that are hard to accept. It's all about acceptance today. What have you accepted? What if what has churches accepted? Churches have accepted certain things. And I've been pastoring for 40 plus years. So I'm not saying this as a rookie. I'm not saying this because I uh, think it. I'm saying it because I know it. I counsel pastors. I counsel churches. Um, I have a few degrees. You know, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, not, I'm not just uh, saying this as a rookie. I, I, think I, I think I have enough information, enough experience to say this is true. 
doesn't have to be true for every church, but this is predominant. This is a generalized study that I think summarizes where we generally are as a church. Number one, generally churches spend about 50 to 60 percent of their income on salaries. They're about. So one study used to say 45, but it's about 50 to 60 percent. They're about no matter what size church it is, somewhere up in that neighborhood. And I want you to follow the math for a minute. Also, churches spend about 30 percent on housing themselves. Normally, that's hopefully mortgage and everything. But in a lot of cases, that's just a mortgage. So let's just say 50 plus plus 30 percent. That's two categories, right? That's 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of their money is spent on two items. One is to house themselves and one is to pay for salaries. Now, I, I love to play the salary game because people ask you, so what should a pastor's salary? What should this church pay people who work in the church? Well, I'm going to tell you the first thing I want you to think about because I hire people. We know we have, we have a good size staff. Uh, people don't grow up thinking, I'm going to go grow up and work in a church. You know why? Because they think we're cheap. Then we don't pay. We don't have benefits. We use people, get a little bit of money to them, maybe a little stipend, they call it. And we think God is pleased with that. And the only guy that should be paid well is the pastor. That's not true. I think that's horrible. I think that the whole team should be paid well. That's my opinion. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. The laborer is worthy of his hire. And that's not just the pastor, dude. That's not just a pastor person, okay? It's, it, 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 and so a church wants to, if it wants to be able to do certain things like what you see me doing, you have to have a team. You have to have people who help you, volunteers and paid people. Can't have all paid because you can't pay that many people. We have 400 active volunteers in our church during our active season. We had about 400 active volunteers and then we had 500 positions. So it takes a lot of people to make things work. I get it. I understand. I'm totally clear about the importance of staff and volunteers. But here's the point I want you to think about. If a church has to spend that much money just to, just to have enough people to get it done, have people that can be there to clean the church, do other things, um, the church needs to have a really healthy attitude towards money. Because if it does not, it's not going to do well. There's something healthy about knowing what you're spending, what your percentages are, what you're doing. And I think a lot of times in the, in the effort to kind of be, I don't know, excited about the Lord, excited about God. We don't pay attention to the details. Now, we've tried to pay attention here. We're, we're always learning and, and striving and, and going through the process. Uh, and, and, I'm, and, and the real challenge is to spend the right percentages, to make, put the money where it's supposed to go. You know, you get up and you ask people for offerings, but if when you finish receiving the offering, you don't have a plan. Just like in your personal life, there's no plan. So there's no plan in your personal life and there's no plan in the ministry. So the ministry just, you know, for years, you know, let's do this. Let's do this for God. Let's do that. You know, and you're not paying attention that you're spending 30 to 40 percent on housing yourself. You're not paying attention. I think here we spend about 8 percent on mortgage. But but the point is, I don't you know, I don't know that that, you know, I, I our goal and we're, we're working toward is, is to pay it off is a very small amount compared to what we do here. But I'm saying there's something about being economically free. Well, you look at your percentages and you think, well, I'm not spending all this money with nothing left. I'm, I'm building rich, but cash poor. So I'm always living on the edge of broke. I'm always struggling, trying to find my way. That's not God's will. God doesn't want churches to spend such a high percentage of their money on buildings and properties that they can't take care of their people. And such a, a, a low percentage on their people that they can't take care of their facilities. 
or they can't, they, I mean, you, there's a balance and you have to find a balance for all of it. I think you can't, I think I got that wrong. You don't want to pay so much over here that you can't pay over there. I think you got the bottom line though. There's something about balance. And I, I think there's a point where you pause and you say, maybe we should reconsider how we spend our money in our church so we can pay our staff better. Maybe we should get this, maybe we shouldn't build that building if it means we won't be able to take care of our youth or take care of, of reaching the community because we're spending so much in these categories that we, we don't have any resources to touch people. But we've accepted that. We've accepted it and we've lived with it and it's become part of our culture. And the sad thing is when something comes along like a pandemic or a challenge, we're nervous and scared and, and I don't think God ever wanted us to be intimidated. And if you manage your money right, you won't have to be. I learned a lot during this season. I learned a lot about us. I learned a lot about our church. I learned a lot about people, myself. And I also learned that there's some very dark things that can happen. For example, if you don't manage your money right, you'd be tempted to do things you shouldn't do. I know people who marry people just because they, they can help them financially. As a matter of fact, it was, I've seen this. I just had a conversation the other day with someone who said, someone married me just so that I can provide for them. And they admitted it. Churches can be the same way. We can have services just to raise money. We can, we can, we can, everything we do, if we're not careful, is about survival. And that's not what we should accept, but we've accepted that. And we create funding scenarios. I'm not against these things, but you gotta be careful that you're not creating a building fund just to raise money or a first fruits offering or, or some anniversary or, or some kind of business deal when I'm gonna get my members to all join in and we're gonna make money and I'm gonna make money off of you and you're gonna make money off of me. And, and so it's all because we have accepted this life instead of just doing what the Bible says, honor God in our tithes and offerings, be good stewards of our money, manage it differently, sit down and take an honest look at our resources and say, this is the truth. There are three important things I think uh, that I hope you accept and take from this talk today. Three things I hope you leave with. One, the people in a family, church, listen carefully, I'll put this on the screen for you because I want you to see this. The people in a family, church or organization will determine the atmosphere and level of financial freedom. If you have people, if you have people that think right, if you have people that focus in the right direction as a family, the family's gonna be better off. If you have a church that focuses in the right direction and says, we wanna make sure we pay our staff right, we wanna make sure we take care of our facilities, we wanna make sure we don't overextend ourselves, we wanna make sure that our organization, our company, the company we started is solvent financially so that we create the right atmosphere. We're not always under the gun. That's decided by the family, the church, the organization. You decide that. You have to say, we will not live that way. We will not accept that. Here's what Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds un unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Wherever refreshes, others will be refreshed. Whoever refreshes other people. There's something about just saying, you know what? I really and truly absolutely must get a hold of my life and I've got to care about other people. I've got to become a person who gives freely. I've got to become a person who says, we as a family, we as a church, we as an organization are going to be ones who give freely because if we refresh others, 
we'll be refreshed. But if we're cheap or stingy and narrow-minded, we won't be. Second thing I hope you take away from this is that, that maturity, <laughs> I'll put this on screen for you too, the maturity and willingness to honestly, aggressively focus and plan for the future will determine the future options the family, church, and organization will have in their future. It, you have to be mature as a church, I keep saying this, right, as a family, as an organization, in order to have resources. And if, if you don't, you're never going to have it. It's about coming to this moment and say, we are going to be mature and willing and honest and aggressive and focused and plan, plan a way forward for us. It's when the family sits down and says, you know what, this is not going well. This is not going to happen. This is not the right way to do this. And so they come at this and they say, you know, okay, we, we've got four kids here that need to go to college. We're going to have to all band our money, put our money together. We're going to have the company come together and say, you know, we've been losing clients and we can't keep going this way. It's when you honestly sit down as mature people and say, we can't live this way. We're not going to accept this kind of loss. I hope you leave with that kind of passion. From this conversation, I hope you say, you know, he's right. We've accepted this. Even during a, a pandemic, accepting a give up spirit, a surrender to its spirit, a bow down and don't fight back spirit. No, get yourself together. Tell yourself you can win. Go after a new beginning. Find a new way to do business. Find a way to do digital. Find a way to open the doors another way. Find a way. That takes maturity for a family to say we've been doing this wrong. And lastly, I love this. The passion for excellence of the family, the church, and the organization will determine the levels that they will advance to in the future. The passion for excellence. Do you have a passion for excellence? Are you honest, aggressive, and focused? Are you the kind of person who wants to create the right atmosphere? I hope you leave here and say, you know, I get that, Pastor. Your passion for excellence determines what's going to happen. You know, there's a whole lot of people who've just given up. I could have been one of those. I could have been one of those. I could have been, and I'm tempted to be. When you're in your 60s, it's amazing how you, you stop dreaming if you're not careful. You somehow think that your life is kind of over, almost, kind of, sort of. Is that you? Don't accept that. What have you accepted? That's the question for the day, right? What have you accepted in your life? I want you to know it's time for you now to pause. I'm going to pray for you. Next time I come back, I'm going to talk about debt. What have you accepted regarding debt? Proverbs 22 and 7 is a great verse for you to look at again. Think about that. I believe that God wants you free. But that's a decision you've got to make. If you accept where you are, it's over. Let's pray. Father, I speak the word of God over the life of your people. I pray that what they've said today, what I've said today has helped them. Some pastors heard this. Some church leaders heard this. Some families heard this. Some business leaders heard this. And they've, they, they said, you know what? We have accepted things we shouldn't. So I speak healing, grace, and guidance. 
may they find strength to go after life in a more determined fashion, with more passion and more commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for sharing. I've got more to say next time about debt you don't want to miss. I promise you, God wants to lift your life to a new place, but you've got to decide to do it. This is going to be a wonderful study that will challenge you to not only face the truth about your money and your, and your life, but how to build a brand new one. Let me tell you something. There's nothing like freedom. I pray it for you. See you next time. Bye-bye. Wow, that's a lot to throw at you. I know you had to process a lot through that. We talked about church. We talked about you. We talked about debt. We talked about income, savings, all of that. A lot to process, but it's helpful. I told the truth. I challenge you to think about your money and to look at what you've accepted and ask yourself, should I have accepted this? There are things that are hard to look at sometimes. It's hard to face the truth, but that's what we're talking about this season. Facing the truth, looking at things we're running from, and we're going to stop running and look at it, deal with it, and go forward. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those today who've heard something that's touched their hearts, may lift them to consider a new way of living, a new way of managing their money and their life. I pray for financial freedom. I pray for them to have the courage to save and the courage to give. I give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Got more to say about this down the road. I'll see you next time. You have a blessed day. Bye-bye.